seat is where we're going to be. You can remain seated for just a moment. Uh, we started this year here at Cornerstone with our theme uh, for 2021, and that is looking unto Jesus. And the reason for that is, you know, we had a uh, change uh, of administration here in America, and, uh, you know, that can be a little discouraging at times. And when, regardless of what's going on in our life, if it's not exactly what we had planned or desired, we can still keep our eyes on the Lord, and that's the encouragement, that we would run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, I thought, you know, since we're supposed to be looking to Him this year, we better learn a little bit about who we're supposed to be looking at. And so we've been studying the life of Christ, we've been studying who He is, and then last Sunday we began a brand new series called I Am, and looking at the, the seven I Am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. And last Sunday we were in John chapter 6, if you recall, and we uh, learned what it meant when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Uh, we looked at the fact that uh, that means for us that Jesus is the source of our lives. He's Remember, he's our creator. He is the source of our eternal life. He's the source of our abundant life here on earth. He is the sustainer of life. And then he also is the only one that can give true satisfaction in life. And we looked at that last Sunday. Uh, today, we're going to look at the second I am statement found in the book of John that Jesus made. And that is when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And that's found in John chapter number 8. And if you would, if you're physically able to, and join me in stand, standing for the reading of God's word, we're going to read John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, a little bit of a lengthy passage. Uh, but uh, I'll read it quick so that it's not too lengthy for you to stand. Uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. The word of God says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. Well, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this day uh, to be able to gather together. And thank you for each one that's here and for those who are watching online. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would mightily use this time in our hearts to draw us closer to you. And Lord, I pray that you would also uh, use this time to help us to desire to reach out into this world with the gospel of Christ. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand what you mean when you say, I am the light of the world. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to start this morning by sharing a story that took place when I was a teenager, which wasn't that long ago, okay, teens? You're like, can you really remember that far back? Yes, I can. Uh, I remember one Sunday afternoon, my friends and I thought it would be fun to go to the west side of town, and uh, we got our rollerblades on, some got skateboards, and there was this really big concrete drainage ditch uh, that was kind of behind some apartments and behind some restaurants. And uh, really nobody hung out there. And we thought, let's go over there and uh, rollerblade and kind of go down these ramps and all these jumps. And, and so we kind of decided to make an afternoon of it. And we did that for a little while. But, but that drainage ditch, we noticed, actually uh, turned into a tunnel, if you kept going, underneath the road. We had no clue, no idea where this would lead, and uh, one of my friends suggested, hey, why don't we uh, go through this tunnel and see where it leads? Uh, the problem is, this particular tunnel, because it was a drainage ditch, it had no lights at all. And, uh, and so I was a little hesitant, so I was, my, my best friend and I, we were in the back of the line as we went through this tunnel. And we just thought, well, we'll go and, we'll go and just see how long this is. We, we go in there, and, and uh, this, this tunnel actually takes a turn. And once it took that turn, all of a sudden the light from uh, the beginning of the tunnel uh, was no longer present. And so now we were in complete blackness and darkness. And, of course, I was worried we'd find uh, you know, some, some guy living down there that uh, didn't want us approaching upon his territory. We thought maybe uh, we'd come across some creepy, crawly, gross things that were down there. We, we, we couldn't see anything. This is the, before the days where you can just yank out your phone and use it as a, uh, yes, okay, so maybe I am old, okay? Uh, you could not use your phone as a flashlight back in those days because we didn't have cell phones. Yes, uh, I know. It was back before when Noah was around. Me and Noah were, uh, Noah was my friend, and he went with me on this little journey into the tunnel. Anyway, uh, so we're, we're going along, and, and before long, it is completely dark, where you put your hand in front of your face like this, you can't see your hand. It is that dark. I mean, your eyes just aren't adjusting, because there's zero light in that tunnel. I'm like, man, what have we gotten ourselves into, and, and how far is it to go back? Uh, I'm kind of wondering about if we should turn back. Well, finally, after uh, probably 15, 20 minutes of us kind of going through this tunnel, uh, you see this super faint light way up ahead. And uh, that, that little light was like, hey, I think I see some light. Well, what it was was a manhole that had a little, that little hole there so that they could put the tool in to lift up the manhole. And that little, that little hole was letting in the, the sunlight into that tunnel. And I remember seeing that just 
as soon as I saw that light, it just gave me this hope, this like, hey, we, I've seen the light, you know. Uh, I, I'm, my, my, it's going to be okay because there is light that we're going to figure out what, what this leads to. And so the, the guys at the front, you know, they, they climbed up the little ladder and, and they were like, I wonder what's up here. I, I hope it's not like this busy street. And we opened it up and all these cars, were, you know, it wasn't, it was on like a sidewalk. And uh, we, we all kind of came out of there like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something like that. <laughs> we were teenagers. We were mutant. Uh, uh, anyway, so we came out of this uh, sewer there, and uh, it was just, I just never, will never forget that, that sight uh, that I had of that little light. It was faint, but oh boy, did it encourage my heart that we were going to eventually get out of this dumb tunnel. That we, whose idea was it in the first place to go down this thing? It, it wasn't mine, but uh, of course I was foolish enough to follow along. Uh, light is a blessing, and, and, uh, and it, it creates great hope. Um, a lot of people have been afraid of the dark at one point in their life. Uh, whether it's a situation like that, or maybe when you were younger, you needed a little nightlight when you were going to bed at night. How many were you like that? How many of you still need a nightlight? Come on, be honest. Okay. I knew there was a couple. Okay, Brother, uh, brother Stino still needs a nightlight. Okay, good. Uh, I, I read a story about five-year-old Johnny who was in the kitchen, and uh, his... Mother was making, making dinner, so she asked him to go to the pantry and to get a can of tomato soup, but he didn't want to go into that pantry alone. He said, it's dark in there, and, and I'm scared of the dark, so she asked again, and, and he persisted. I'm scared. I don't want to go in there. Finally, she said, and she kind of just came up with this idea, okay, it's, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you in that pantry. So Johnny walked hesitantly to the door and slowly opened it, and he peeked inside, saw that it was dark, and started to leave when all of a sudden he had an idea. He said, I know. And he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you mind handing me that can of tomato soup? <laughs> you see, all of us are uh, afraid of the dark at times, and I used to be afraid of the dark too until I became a dad and had to pay the electric bill. Now I like darkness. And so uh, my kids will often see me going around the house, turning off lights. How many of you dads are like that? Just constantly turning off lights. Uh, that's kind of like my, my spiritual gift, my ministry in life, you know, my calling to turn off lights because you have to pay for those lights to be on. Uh, but the concept of light, as we think about it this morning in relation to the Word of God in our lives, the concept of life can be really traced throughout the entire Bible. The word light is actually found 272 times in Scripture. Here are just a couple references to give you a, a very tiny sampling. Of course, we're not going to go through all 272, probably just 250 of them, though, just to uh, calm everybody's nerves on that. No, I'm just kidding. Just, uh, just a couple. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Word of God, uh, you find light mentioned at the very, uh, in, the, in the top three, the first three verses of the Bible. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So light took place at the very beginning of the Bible. 
God used then later on, and as he was delivering the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he used the pillar of fire to give light to this uh, group of people as he led them out of bondage. God then commanded that the tabernacle, as uh, he uh, described what he wanted in the tabernacle, he wanted to have the candlesticks there. Why? To give light to, the, to those who were ministering inside the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, there are several references to who the Messiah would be and what he would do. One, of, one such instance is Isaiah chapter 60 in verse, verses 1 through 3. Here's what that passage says. Arise, shine. For thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. We're in John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 7, in verse number 2, if you just look over there real quickly, it says... Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now Israel, the feast of the tabernacle, Israel would gather together to celebrate the fall harvest as well as remember God's provision in the wilderness. And so they would, they would be little lean-tos or little tabernacles in Jerusalem and they would sleep in them for a week during this feast of the tabernacles. And on the first day of this feast, there was a ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. And in the court of women, which was the entrance to the temple beyond the front gate, stood huge menorahs, or candelabras, 75 feet high. The priests would then light them at night to remind the people again of the pillar of fire uh, that had guided Israel in their wilderness journey. And all night long, the light shone their brilliance, it is said, illuminating the entire city. And so the entire festival was a reminder that God had promised to send a light, the light, to a sin-darkened world. God promised to send the Messiah to renew Israel's glory and release them from bondage and restore their joy. Well, on the last day of the feast, there were no lit candles or menorahs. John 7, 37 makes it clear that Jesus spoke on the last day of the festival, the day of darkness. And John 7, 53, which is right before chapter number 8, says, then everyone went home. But then in verse 1 of chapter 8, says Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. So at nighttime, when everybody went back to their cush homes and to their you know, uh, sleep number beds and all that, uh, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives because he did not have a place to lay his head. Uh, that's how he did his ministry. Um, but uh, the very next day, Jesus had a special announcement to make. In uh, John chapter 8, and verse number 12, he used the backdrop of the dark day of the Feast of Tabernacles to make a special, powerful point. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world... Uh, he that followeth me shall not. Um, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The temples and the city's darkness were the illustration. He was announcing that he was the light, the Messiah that they were looking for. He was the whole point of the Feast of Tabernacles. He is the pillar of fire. He is uh, that light that the Gentiles would one day look upon. 
So in essence, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he was saying that I am the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. In John chapter 1 and verse number 4, and talking about Christ, says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. In Acts chapter number 9, we read about Saul's conversion. When, uh, when God changed Saul from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul, who would start so many different churches, write a good chunk of the New Testament. Uh, what did God use uh, that day in Acts chapter 9 to get his attention? Well, the Bible says, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And after Saul got saved, God changed his name to Paul. And uh, one day when he appeared to King Agrippa, he shared his testimony and said, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. Uh, and most of us know that it's not real safe to look at the sun for uh, any length of time. But uh, can you imagine a light brighter than the sun? And that's what showed, shone round about uh, Saul of Tarsus as he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. So light, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 5 this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Oh, I love this thought here. Think about the future of light. Revelation chapter 21. As John here is writing the description of what the new Jerusalem is going to be like in Revelation 21 verse 22 says, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And no more night. And no more nighttime. No more nighty nighty night nights. It's going to be one long eternal day. And you know who's going to lighten that new Jerusalem? It's going to be the Lord Jesus himself. The one who said, I am the light of the world. So from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end, we see the emphasis on light. When Jesus declares, I am the light of the world, it is extremely significant. And what, what does this I am statement teach us about Jesus and about our lives? Let's get into the uh, real message. That was all introduction, but a shorter message to follow. First of all, it teaches us, this I am statement, it teaches us that Jesus exposes our sin. This is not my favorite point to mention. But it's the truth. In John chapter 8, the context here, of course, is uh, right after the Feast of the Tabernacles, which we've already mentioned. But then right after that, Jesus appears in the early morning in John chapter 8, verse 2. He comes again to the temple. And he begins to teach. Now, we don't know all the things that he's teaching. The Bible doesn't, at this point, record what it is. But while he's teaching... 
these righteous, pious Pharisees and scribes, these professional religious officials had come up with the perfect trap for Jesus. So they caught this woman taken in the very act of adultery and brought her to Jesus. Now, I'm wondering where the guy was that she was committing adultery with. Why why wasn't he brought to? Uh, But the point is, she gets brought to him and they begin to say, Ah, we've caught her, and she was doing wrong. Now, in verse number 5, they kind of refer back to the, uh, to the Bible, thinking, we've got him right where we want him. It said, Moses in the law commanded that such should be stoned. Uh, she deserves to be executed for her sin. And here's, here's the deal. If Jesus didn't agree with them in verse number 5, he would violate the law of Moses, which... He wrote the law of Moses. (laughs) He can't violate his own law. So he has to follow through with uh, what he he wrote. But then if he decides to go ahead and uh, give consent to her execution, then now he's usurping the Roman authority, the Roman law. And uh, he doesn't want to do that either. And so what does he end up doing? He doesn't say anything. Verse number five. But what sayest thou? Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Verse number six. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So he just kind of got down and started writing in the ground. Oh, that's a good study right there to determine what he was writing. Some people think he was writing the law. Commandments, that he knew that the, the Pharisees and the scribes were guilty of themselves. Uh, maybe he was writing sins specifically by name. Uh, we don't know exactly what he wrote. As he wrote those things, they were really confused and they pressed him in verse number 7. When they continued asking him, he finally got up and said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He who is without sin... Let him first cast a stone at her. Well, that was an unexpected response. I love the Lord Jesus. I mean, he didn't always do things. He was not extremely predictable. People thought they had him in a corner. And he, you know, we've been learning about uh, Donald Trump and his 4D chess moves. Talk about a 4D chess move right here. I mean, talk about something that they were not expecting that blew their minds. That wasn't what they were expecting. And then after he said that, he just got back down and kept writing. Well, what ended up happening? Verse number 9. They which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. See, when I talk about Jesus exposing our sin, it, it wasn't really... having much to do, and my my point here is not that he was exposing the sin of that woman taken in adultery. What he was exposing was the sin of those righteous, pious Pharisees and scribes who thought they were perfect, who thought that they were above the law, and who who thought that they, they had no sin. So Jesus has a way of exposing our sin We don't like to have our sin exposed. We like to have it 
under wraps, especially here at a church. You know, we come to church and we all have our smiles on and, and uh, we all look good. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have smiles and look good. Um, but we all have sin and we all are not perfect. Jesus has a way of exposing our sin. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see the Lord exposing sin. Remember Adam? After he took that forbidden fruit and went in, the Bible says, hid himself. Trying to cover it up. But the Lord has a way of exposing sin, doesn't he? Hey, Adam, where are you? We're going to expose your sin. Uh, what about Cain? After he murdered his brother Abel, the Lord wanted to expose that sin too. And so he goes to Cain and says, hey, where's your brother? Where's your bro? He's like, I have no idea, which was a complete lie. He said, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord was exposing Cain's sin. What about Achan, the, the man who uh, took the spoils there in Jericho and, and hid him under his tent? The Lord has a way of exposing our sin. What about David who committed tremendous sin against or with Bathsheba and then ended up killing Uriah to try to cover his tracks? He had it hidden for a good while, but guess what? The Lord exposes our sin. And finally, God sent Nathan the prophet and said, Thou art the man. Uh, reminding David that God knows about our sin and reminding us that he will expose our sin. And that's what Jesus was doing here as the light of the world. He, he shines the light into our life, into the areas we don't want him shining in. But it's not to condemn us, my friend. It's to cause us to understand that we desperately need a Savior. That we desperately need someone to take away the sin of the world. But not to make us feel horrible, but to cause us to repent and come to Christ and become clean. Psalm 14 and verse number 2, the Bible says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Well, what did he find when he looked? He said, they're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy, and there is none that doeth good, no, not one. The truth of the matter is, all of us are sinners. Every one of us. Maybe even me especially. But again, God doesn't, Jesus doesn't want to be the light of the world just to expose our sin to condemn us, because the truth of the matter is, we're condemned already. He does that. He exposes our sins so that we understand we need a Savior. We need someone to cleanse us from our sin. So here is the light of the world in John chapter 8. He exposes the sin of these pious religious individuals and said, Your religion is not enough. There is still sin in your life. Your religion can't cover your sin. Only I can forgive you. Only I can give you the light of life. So Jesus exposes our sin. But then, secondly, I want us to notice that Jesus also enables our sight. As the light of the world, he gives us sight. John chapter 8 wasn't the only time that Jesus said, I am the light of the world in, John, in, John, in the book of John. He also said it in John chapter 9. And so if you would, uh, flip over to that if you need to flip over. But John chapter 9 and uh, verse number 1 
It says, And Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. A man who could not see. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Again, just reminding us that a lot of times we, you might have a mentality or some people might have a mentality that uh, trials and tribulations are the result of sin. Uh, not always. In this case, that's what the disciples thought. But Jesus says, no, that's not why. It's, it's that the works of God should be made manifest, manifest in him so that I can get the glory. A lot of times when God allows trials into our lives, that's why. It's not because we've sinned, although it's a good question to ask. Lord, is there sin in my life that has caused this? Are you trying to discipline me, get my attention? Or are you just trying to get, your, get glory from this situation? In verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. No, the night cometh when no man can work. And then here he goes, verse number 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus enables our sight. A couple miracles that took place in John chapter 9. And I'd like to ver- share them with you very quickly this morning. Miracle number 1 is that this man who was born blind ended up receiving physical sight. Uh, what, a, what a miracle. Verse 6, let's read about it. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. This isn't very COVID-friendly, uh, just, just saying here, okay? Um, this is CDC would not approve of, of this particular uh, medical um, method. Uh, verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. That's kind of an unorthodox uh, way of doing something, and, and yet this is the way Jesus chose to do it. And he puts that clay on the blind man, and then he says, okay, now I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpret, interpretation sent. And he went his way and washed and came seeing. Can you imagine that man? This is a man who was born blind, it's not like he had uh, this blindness that gradually took place. This was, he never could see from the day of his birth. Never knew what it was like to look at a sunset. Knew, never knew what, what the color blue looks like, the color green looks like, what a bird looks like. He never knew anything like that. And now in verse number six or seven here, he washed and came seeing. Pretty, miracle, pretty amazing miracle that the Lord did right there. Well, verse 8, the neighbors, therefore, and they which had seen uh, him and that he was blind said, Hey, isn't this the, the guy who begged? Wasn't this that blind guy that was begging? Some said, verse 9, this is he. Others said, no, he's, he looks like him. But, but then this man said, I am he. Verse 10, therefore, they said unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. I wash, I went, and I washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I I, I don't know. Well, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. I mean, now we need to go and start 
This is creating a buzz. Uh, let's, uh, let's go talk to the Pharisees. Verse 14, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay. Now, Jesus liked to do things on the Sabbath day just to get a rise out of the Pharisees, I think. He knew that would push their buttons. And so uh, it did again in this case. Verse 15, again, the Pharisees also asked him how long he had received his sight. He said to them, he, I put clay upon my eyes, I washed, and I do see. Therefore, son of the Pharisees said, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Well, he was not a sinner. That's why he was able to do miracles, my friend. And there was a division among them. They said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, Well, he's a prophet. Well, the Jews didn't believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they had called the parents of him that had received his sight. They thought, uh, he's just making this off. He's just blowing smoke. Let's go get mom and dad into the picture and let's get their testimony. So they called to the, uh, uh, to the witness stand, mom and dad. And they asked him, verse 19, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, like for sure. 100%. But by what means now he seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes? We don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He can speak for himself. Uh, now, these words they were speaking because they feared the Jews. And uh, they knew that they would get cast out of the synagogue. They would kind of lose their religious status if they uh, confessed that it was Christ. So, the, therefore, said his parents, he's of age. Ask him. And again, they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And that's where, this, that's where that line in that song comes from, is verse 25. Verse 26, They said unto him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he's like, I've already told you. Verse 27, Well then, what did they respond in verse 28? They reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are of Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And uh, let's see, in verse number 34, let's jump down to there. They answer and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. This is the, this is the guy who was born blind that had been healed. They cast him out. Well, he was cast out, but guess who finds him in verse 35? Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him. He said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Well, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. You realize one of the first people that this man saw after he was healed was the Lord Jesus. What a sight. But now he's confronted not just with his physical sight, now he's confronted with his spiritual salvation. So miracle number two is he received spiritual salvation. I mean, not only did he receive physical sight, but then he, he got saved as well. After Jesus says, you're looking at the Son of God. I'm the one. Here's what he said in verse number 38. This man said, Lord, I believe. 
after his belief, after his salvation, then the Bible says, and he worshipped him. What a tremendous um, response that this man had. So he had a pretty good day, if you ask me. He got to see physically, but then spiritually he got to see as well. He received spiritual salvation. Whether you can see physically or not is not the most important thing. Can you see spiritually is the most important question. And uh, can you uh, see that Jesus, the light of the world, is the only way to a relationship with God? It's not through a church. It's not through good works. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's not through uh, some man somewhere. No, no, it's through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. Will you believe that? Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Or are you believing on your church membership? Or on your religion? Or on your good works? Friend, none of those things will get anybody into heaven. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can. Those of us who've been saved, this verse applies to us. Colossians 1.13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness... And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The world says seeing is believing. But the Lord says believing is seeing. Uh, we're not going to really be able to see until we believe. The world says I want to see it first and then I'll believe. God says no, no, you need to believe first and then you'll be able to really see it. And so if you're here today and you are in that boat, I gotta see everything. I gotta, I just gotta make logical sense and every I gotta I gotta have all this evidence. Well, there, there's evidence out there, my friend, but I'm telling you, at some point, you're going to need to believe in order to really see. I know many people who are physically blind who can see much better than those with 20-20 physical vision. I know I've already said a lot about Brother Tom this past week, but he was such a man. Not able to see very well physically, but spiritually. Had tremendous perception and vision. And we're all benefits, we all benefited from that. And so, I mean, even better to have good physical vision too, as well as spiritual vision. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. These Pharisees that, were, that kept interrogating this man and the parents were spiritually blind because the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded their eyes, their minds to them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'll often use this if I am signing my name and put a verse next to it. Is Psalm 27 and verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But the Lord is my light and my salvation. Friend, can I ask you this question? Is he your light and your salvation? If not, can I recommend 
today, the last day of February in 2021, to make the greatest day of your life by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. When you forsake your religion, when you forsake your unbelief, when you forsake your, uh, your good works and say, Lord, I want to trust in you and you alone for my salvation. Then you'll be able to say like David did, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So we see that Jesus enables sight. Thirdly, we see also and lastly that Jesus expects us to shine. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then he doesn't just keep that title for himself, though, does he? See, this is the only I am statement that Jesus gives us to. He doesn't call us to be the bread of the life. He doesn't call us the true vine. He doesn't call us the door of the sheep, the good shepherd. He doesn't call us the resurrection and the life. He doesn't call us the way, the truth, and the life. No, uh, but he does call us to be the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. Let me just help those of us in Oklahoma. Y'all are the light of the world. Just to help you all understand that tonight, today. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And many of you know that I love lighthouses. I, I, I like them so much that I decided to decorate my office with lighthouses. And some of you have been over there to see that. In fact, I counted them up this morning and I have 17 photos or some type of lighthouse decoration, including the newest edition was a Christmas gift to me, and I brought it here to show you this morning because uh, I'm a dad, and, uh, you know, I got to show you what my, my daughter did for me for Christmas. She put this little lighthouse together, and the, these are just little, uh, little beads that stick on here, and she did these. It's like color by number, but little beads by color. There's another way to say that, but I don't know what the real name is. But anyway, uh, she did this for me. I love lighthouses. And uh, so this sits in my, or this is uh, hanging on my wall in my office. And uh, I just appreciate that very, very much that she was willing to do that for me. Um, but one of the reasons I love lighthouses so much is because it speaks of the responsibility that we have as believers to help guide the souls of men out of the darkness into the safe harbor of Jesus Christ. You see, we as believers are to be a lighthouse in our community, in our world. And how are we to do this? We are to do this, first of all, through our walk. Through our walk, through our life. Our, our life is to be a, a witness. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Our lives are to point people to Christ. As they see us work, as they see us at school, as they see us live our lives, it should point them to Jesus Christ. They should say, there is something different about that person. What is it? And it ought to be evident that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We're to be witnesses uh, through our walk. We are to be lighthouses and to shine brightly through our walk. 1 Peter 2.9 says, Ye are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Are you thankful this morning, believer, Christian friend, that he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? If that's the case, then let's show forth the praises of him. Let's let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. A little girl got home from Sunday school where she had been taught Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men they may see your good works, glorify your Father which is in heaven. She asked her mother what this verse meant. Her mom said, well, it means that when you're good and kind and thoughtful and obedient, you're letting, light, letting Christ's light shine in your life before all who know you. Well, the very next week in Sunday school, the little girl got in a bit of an uh, altercation with another student and created somewhat of an uproar. To such an extent that the Sunday school teacher had to find mom to get her settled down. Her mom was concerned when she got to the classroom and said, Sweetie, don't you remember we were talking about letting your light shine for the Lord before men? The little girl blurted out, Mom, I guess I have just blowed myself out. Uh, I want to encourage us this morning to make sure that we don't blow ourselves out. That we let our light so shine before men in our good works, in our, in our, uh, in our lives, in our walk. Because you can say everything, you can preach the gospel with your words all you want, but if your life doesn't match up with it, ain't no one going to listen to you. So our lives need to live of the gospel, okay? We need to do this through our uh, walk, but then we also need to do it through our words. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. We're talking about how the fact that Jesus expects us to shine. What a privilege it is that he shares this I am statement with you and I. We need to make sure that we're doing well to get the, get, to shine brightly and to be obedient in this regard. Mark 16, 15 says... Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You might be sitting there thinking, great, pastor, you need to preach the gospel. I mean, that's your job, pastor, to preach the gospel. And I would say to you, amen, it is my job. But I would also say to you, amen, it's your job too. And it's not my job because I'm the pastor. It's my job because I'm a believer. And it's your job because you're a believer. He's given this not to a select certain number of people. He's given this to every Christian there is. We are to preach the gospel to every creature. What does the word preach mean? It means to herald. It means to proclaim. It means to publish. I'm all for living a good life like we just talked about as far as I'm letting my life preach. And boy, our life better preach. Because again, if our life doesn't preach, say all you want, it ain't going to make a difference. But our lives alone are not going to necessarily help people come to Christ. They may see the difference that Christ can make in a life. Sometimes God wants us to open this mouth of ours. Some of us are good at opening our mouths at the wrong times. Uh, he also wants us, though, to open it at the right times. I was talking to one of our members yesterday who works in the medical field. And uh, he mentioned that one of the things he tries to do while he's working with patients, especially as they're, it's, it's evident that they're not going to make it. 
one of the things he tries to do is talk and says, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? And uh, he's trying to be uh, a lighthouse to those individuals there. And I just appreciate so much his desire to shine brightly by using his words. You know, those people aren't going to get saved by just seeing him do a good job at taking care of them. No, he opens his mouth and is willing to declare and publish and herald the gospel. Someone once said, silence is golden, but sometimes it's just plain yellow. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college and I was working at Staples, the office superstore. And I was in the furniture department and I worked there. Well, one of my bosses was, happened to be Catholic. And I knew that he needed to be saved. I knew that he needed to come to Jesus Christ and, and uh, to believe only in Christ and not, not to believe in his religion and, and his church, but to believe only in Christ. And I had mentioned this as a prayer request to one of my college friends. Well, one night after work, I got back to the dorm. And my friend uh, Clay asked me if I had the opportunity that day to witness to him. And I, and I kind of, you know, sheepishly said, you know, well, well Clay, it, wa- it wasn't the right time. And then he asked me a question that kind of I wasn't expecting. He said, well, Eric, when will it be the right time? And I remember thinking that, ooh, that's a convicting thought. Because I don't know how much longer, how many other opportunities I'm going to have to witness to him. Not to say that you have to force the issue. I understand the, uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, I think in that situation it wasn't the right time, but I appreciated the, the convicting question that he asked me because sometimes we just kind of, well, I'm just not feeling comfortable right now bringing this up. And it's our own uncomfortableness that is causing the moment to pass. When we could have had the opportunity, when we, if we were to just been obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit in that moment to open our mouths and preach the gospel. I'm not saying you need to get a Bible out and get a pulpit. I need a pulpit here to preach the gospel. No, just be kind and gracious and explain your testimony, what Christ did for you. Look, if we're going to be obedient to this, we must open our mouths and use our words to declare the gospel. I don't have to go on and on today about the crookedness and corruption in this world. We're all very well aware that sin abounds in this day and age. We know that we're living in a godless society where everyone is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Okay, so what are we to do about it? I know we're to shake our heads in disgust over how bad it's getting out there. We need to spend our time and energy talking about the good old days when uh, things were better. Look, I'm thankful for the good old days, but I'm also... And I'm also disgusted about where this society is headed. But our reaction to this perverse world is not to hide and be hermits and talk about how bad it is there. No, it's to build some lighthouses and to be a bright and shining light and to make a difference by preaching the gospel, shining the gospel with our walk and with our words. What's the takeaway from this message this morning? First of all, I want to ask you the same question that Jesus asked that healed man in verse 35 of John chapter 9. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Have you believed on Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If not, can I encourage you to make that decision today before it's eternally too late because there is going to come a day where it will be eternally too late. What about for those of us who have believed? 
There's a, uh, there's a light bulb in Livermore, California that has burned almost continuously since 1901. The Livermore Power and Light Company gave the bulb to the Livermore Volunteer Fire Department over a century ago. Well, almost, it's 120 years ago, and there's a picture of it on the screen here. This light bulb. And it has been burning ever since with just a few short interruptions. It has actually not ever been turned off since 1976, which isn't that long ago because that's when I was born. In case you're wondering, that's around 45 years that this light bulb has continuously been on. I guess they don't make light bulbs like they used to, because uh, mine seem to burn out quite a bit. Because our kids keep them on forever. I think that's the deal. <laughs> well, just as the Livermore bulb has burned faithfully, the Christian's light should never go out, because the world is watching us around the clock. Look, friend, if Motel 6 can leave the light on for you, can't you and I leave the light of the gospel on for people in this world of darkness? If they think it's that important to leave the light on for you, how much more important is it for us to keep the light on of the gospel for those who are living in darkness? Jesus bids us shine with a clear, pure light, like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, we must shine. You in your small corner, and I in mine. Let's shine brightly in this world as believers. If you're here this morning and you've never believed on Christ, please, for the Lord's sake, for your sake, come to Jesus Christ and be saved. It's not worth waiting another day. Another day without Christ is a wasted day. Don't waste another day. Come to Christ and be saved today. Let's pray.